Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Come sit around the campfire and I'll tell you a tale or you can sit and listen to this baloney for an hour. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you 100% pre-recorded, because as this show goes out, uh, our ship will be sailing between uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, and Oslo, Norway, on the way to Oslo. Uh, Yes, I'm back on the seven seas. Anyway, uh, in tonight's show, we've got a short Ask the Pipe Maker segment with uh, Jeff Grasick and Pipe Parts. And then my guest is Chris Kelly of Eldritch Pipes. And uh, Chris is a unique guy and a guy that I really enjoyed getting to know. And uh, he's making some, uh, some great looking pipes, so look forward to that. Mailbag, uh, music mailbag, and rant. All that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And remember, as uh, we're heading into August here in, in North America, we're starting to get some cooler weather. Do make sure and get out and smoke your pipe in public wherever you can. This is my annual reminder for everybody to get out in public, smoke your pipe, let people see what an American pipe smoker looks like or a Canadian pipe smoker or, you know, wherever you live. Get outside, smoke your pipe out in public. I get a, you know, I do it all the time and I get, uh, I get some looks from people. Um, it could be that I also, also that I drive a Mini Cooper and smoke a pipe, so... Uh, smoking and driving at the same time not a problem for me and uh, remember uh, you will be able to hang out with me at the conclave of Richmond pipe smokers at the Sutliff tobacco factory show Uh, last I heard there were still a few tables available so if you're interested in getting a table and selling something do uh, reach out to them on their website you can go to pipesmagazine.com and click on pipe shows and see the link there And I will be doing some recording. Plus, I understand they are canning up a special tobacco that may not have been uh, made by Sutliff. And they're going to do a fundraiser with it. And all the money's going to JDRF. So all that to look forward to all at the Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers show where you'll be able to see me. And I'll be able to record you for a little bit and get your impressions of uh, a tour of an actual working tobacco factory. Uh, the only other pipe show I've got on my schedule for this fall is the West Coast Pipe Show out in uh, Las Vegas. First weekend in November. All right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. 
welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show with the Ask the Pipe Maker segment, the huge new hit of the season, right, Jeff? Uh, yeah, that's right here. Yeah. So, uh, Jeff Grasick, maker of J. Allen Pipes and Allen Brothers Pipes. Jeff, welcome back. Here's your, here's your multiple part question, and I'm just going to read these two emails, one from Mark Irwin and one okay. from Jess Steer. So stick with me. Uh, Mark says, hi, Brian. Great show as always, but I think you and Jeff missed a really important part of the, of the discussion on the tin and mortise. And one I'd really like Jeff's opinion on. I'd ask for yours, but I already know what you're going to say, and you don't usually use words like that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> he had to listen to a few of the shows. Um, anyway, as a professional pipe maker, Jeff, he's talking to you, not me. Mm -hmm. Can you discuss the effects of turbulence on military mounts? All the great vintage English marquees made these at one time or another, Many adorned them with precious metals, some with sterling silver, uh, with sterling spigots, and of course Peterson has made a lot of these in the past few years. I've always found them difficult, hot, and uh, found them difficult, hot, and difficult to smoke without tongue burn. But even artisans occasionally make these. So how do artisans deal with this issue? Is there such thing as a cool smoking military mount? If so. How is it achieved? And that's from Mark Irwin, who uh, just put okay. out the uh, the Peterson pipe book. So he's mm -hmm. he's got some experience with that. Uh, and then okay. on, on the other side, uh, Jess Steer writes, I love the silver or nickel mounts that are ubiquitous on Peterson pipes. But why are they called army mounts? Why isn't it a navy mount or a hunting mount or maybe just a metal mount? <laughs> uh, yeah good question weren't they also called like breakdown pipes at one point or uh or pocket pipes because you could you know take them off when they were hot and throw them in your pocket i i mean i'm not aware of that but it would make sense that that it would have uh multiple names and that those would be fitting ones yeah um i think the uh the, the second question um from jesse is that right yes um is easier to answer, or at least more more uh, has a uh, quicker answer to it. Um, as the question was, why uh, why are they called army mounts? Is that correct? Yep. As opposed, okay. So um, my understanding, and I'm no scholar on the subject, but my understanding is that it came from uh, World War One, I, I believe, um, where pipe smokers would pull their pipes out in between. Uh, uh, in, in the midst of or in, in between battles and or skirmishes, and they would light their pipes up. And they needed to, uh, if if fighting broke out, they needed to rapidly break their pipes down and put them away. And uh, most of us who have smoked a pipe for a while know that there is a bit of a danger when you pull a pipe, uh, pull apart a pipe that has a traditional mortise tenon fitting that being like it's uh, 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 a friction mount. Um, that danger is that if you heat up the tenon or you pull the pipe apart while the tenon is warm, you risk breaking the tenon off. So my understanding is that the tapered fit, uh, which we call an army mount, is was created so that the pipe could be broken down or taken apart without, uh, without the danger, or the same danger at least, to the um, or of the tenon breaking apart as you disassembled it 
while it was warm. Yeah, and, and they needed to do that during battle so that they could, you know, they could take it apart while it was hot, put it away without breaking their pipe. You wanted to both fight and <laughs> and uh, have your your uh, pipe uh, intact after the battle was over. Yeah, you wanted to live to smoke another day, so you would so you'd pull the pull the stem out and put the stem and the bowl in your shirt pocket, button it up, and hope you survived for the next smoke. Right, right. And I suppose, you know, the question about why it wasn't called a Navy mount or a Marine mount or whatever is that uh, I, I don't uh, know. I, I don't want to state this definitively, but I don't believe that uh, uh, Navy were fighting in trenches in the same way that uh, the Army were. So it was less of an issue uh, on on boats as it was. <laughs> if they did, the boat took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe the trenches between waves. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's go to Mark's question about, you know, why is the, you know, uh, how does a, uh, how does a pipe maker like you deal with the fact that with this army mount, you're going to, you know, obviously there's going to be a gap in there and it's going to create mm -hmm. turbulence and bitterness. Is that just part of the nature or can you as somebody making each pipe one at a time by hand, can you tailor the stem to work all the way up to the flush of the, of the draft hole? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think that uh, what, what the question is addressing is that a lot of old army mounts, especially left a, a substantial gap between the bottom, between the end of the tenon and the bottom of the mortise. Yeah. Um, that does offer a couple advantages. Uh, one is that it means that you'll never bottom out the, the, uh, the tenon, meaning like that the tenon is never going to be longer than the mortise. And if there's any um, changes in the dimensions due to uh, moisture in the air or uh, the, the climate that you're, a uh, change of climate where you have the pipe, that the tenon will always fit, um, which is not always the case if you have one that is very where the tenon is fit very close to the bottom of the mortise. Uh, sometimes there can be some, some expansion uh, that will cause it to have a small light gap or something. Um, so that it corrects that problem, and it also addresses a problem that Peterson was answering with their system pipes, uh, which is that, hey, these pipes are smoking wet, we want to leave a collection area. The same thing for a reverse calabash or a traditional calabash is that uh, there was uh, an understanding that pipes inherently smoke wet, whether it was from the, uh, the moisture content of the tobacco or uh, especially drooling um, pipe smokers. <laughs> like me. Um, yeah, yeah, or me. Um, that they're what they wanted to have a collection spot for that moisture. Um, and so having an especially long mortise would provide a similar, um, a solution to the problem. Um, but your pipe would still gurgle, uh, that of course didn't address that problem. So those are, those are some of the things that it was trying to leaving a large, uh, or a longer mortise was trying to address, but, to answer the question, yeah, I actually make my military mount um, pipes so that the bottom of the tenon and the bottom of the mortise are very close to one another. Similar, uh, similar spacing to what you will find in my traditional um, uh, mortise and tenon fitting. And it's specifically to address this question that I don't want there to be um, more 
turbulence than you would find in a traditional um, fitting. Yeah, you don't want and, enough room in there where you could put a six millimeter filter in by accident. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so if um, you, and you will see uh, the evidence of um, of too large of a gap. Not only you'll experience it when you smoke it, but you'll also see excessive buildup in the bottom um, if you disassemble your pipe and take a look in, inside the mortise. So, you know, typically for me, and, I, you know, I can't speak to other, uh, the, the work of other pipe makers besides those who have studied with me and, um, you know, who I've taught to do the, the army mount, um, that typically I tell them the same thing, leave as small of a gap as possible. Um, you want to have a slightly, maybe a slightly larger uh, area down there only because the uh, the army mount is more affected by changes in climate um, so that it might fit in deeper one day and less deep another. Um, and so you want to leave a little bit more space. Um, I mean, we're talking, you know, a few thousandths of an inch um, so that it will not bottom out and then be excessively loose. Yeah, and then I'll I'll just add into this that I know in the in the factory process of making a military mount or an army mount or I don't know a Boy Scouts mount. Um, <laughs> I guess we can't make we can't make those anymore. That would be politically incorrect. Um, the uh, you know oftentimes the pipe and the stem don't meet until you know the very end of the the end of the pipe making process because they were literally made in separate part separate places in the factory and they get that last little moment mm -hmm. where they push it together and go okay into the box you go yeah. as opposed to the way you're doing it where you're working with the stem material from about the time you've drilled the you've drilled the mortise hole yeah yeah right uh, typically um, typically I'll make the mouthpiece in tandem with the rest of the pipe. I mean, if it's a flush mount, especially, I mean, they're made, um, they, they have to be fit together and sanded together, um, long before the finishing process takes place. But I will say that for a military mount, uh, you can make the mouthpiece at any, almost any stage. Um, and in a lot of cases I will make the mouthpiece after the pipe is complete. Um, that doesn't affect the fitting at the bottom at all uh, because I can tailor that to the pipe but um, but typically I'll finish the pipe before I make the mouthpiece if I'm used uh, doing a military mount. That was a uh, great question great question Mark and Jess hope that answers it and uh, Jeff thanks for coming on. Yeah of course thanks for having me. And we'll be back in just a minute. This is internet radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby.
We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and heading across the pond back to the mother colony. Well, I guess what's left of the mother colony. Back to England uh, for a pipe maker, a pipe designer, and (laughs) somebody who caught my attention on Instagram because these aren't just... There's traditional pipes, but these aren't... There's some non-traditional stuff, so... Uh, the maker of Eldritch Pipes, Chris Kelly. Welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you, man. It's lovely to be here. Right. Lovely to be invited. So tell everybody where where exactly are you from? Uh, the, the little town I'm from is uh, Leamington Spa. It's in the general area of Warwickshire, which is pretty much slap bang in the middle of England. Yeah, you are just about dead in the middle of the entire in the entire country what makes it a spa yeah in fact we normally we refer to the whole region just as the midlands shows you <laughs> it's a good idea of where we are <laughs> why do they call it lemmington spa is there uh, hot springs or hot water there it's um it is there is a spa yeah um well historically there was a spa so um, people would come here for the water uh, as some kind of treatment. But um, the the actual spa water is is not actually. It's only available as a fountain. You can there's <laughs> one little fountain you can go and drink now. You can't bathe in it anymore. <laughs> there used to be like a swimming pool. Yeah. Uh, that you could go to back in Victorian times. <laughs> So you could go bathe in the in the natural mineral waters and have all those ailments go away, and you'd be nice and healthy, and then you'd go back to London. Exactly. Yes, and um, and get sick from the smog again, <laughs> yeah. uh, or, or get the plague, uh, or, or get the plague. Yeah. So is that where you were? Is that where you were born and raised? Did you grow up there? I was um, I was born in the, the uh, Coventry. Coventry City, which is uh, not far from Leamington. In fact, uh, Warwickshire was just outside Coventry. You've probably heard of yeah. uh, Coventry. Yeah. Because um, it was bombed the hell out of during the war. Yeah. Uh, so it's got lots of, um, well, a destroyed cathedral there. Uh, so I was born there, but moved to Leamington when I was very, very young. So young that I don't even remember the move. But uh, so yeah, I, I could say not exactly born, but certainly raised in Leamington. I was just going to say it suits my. It's a good little size. It's just a nice town. It's quite it's, it's quite leafy green, but um, uh, it's not. You don't feel tucked out of the way. You feel connected, but you. But it's not a a concrete metropolis. So it's a nice medium. It's a. Uh, it sounds like a great place to live, but probably for the tourist, uh, maybe not the best place to visit because you might see the whole place in one hour. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, although most, most, a lot of people will go through Leamington on their way to Stratford for all the Shakespeare stuff. Yeah, I've heard of that guy. He was, he he did some good stuff way back yeah. when. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Before you were, before you were a pipe maker, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
Uh, I wanted to be a rock musician. That was pretty much my sole dream. And I gave myself until the age of 30 to try and make it. And, um, <laughs> well, I'm not a famous rock musician. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's when that's when reality set in and I decided I actually had to uh, uh, do something. I had to change track. When did you begin smoking a pipe? Oh, I've been smoking a pipe now for a, about 15 years. Um, I used to smoke cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes for my teens. But I managed to kick that habit in my 20s. Um, but I like tobacco. I do. I just... Um, I've always liked blowing smoke. And um, <laughs> the only thing I didn't like about about cigarettes was that uh, cigarettes I, I couldn't I wasn't the master the tobacco was my master uh, I didn't like that um, that hierarchy but I found that with pipes uh, it was it was me in control I decided what to smoke and when to smoke uh, the pipe isn't the master of me so the pipe what I'm saying. the pipe doesn't want to make you jump out out of the pub into the into the alleyway and have a quick pipe where the cigarette did. I always um, describe pipe smoking as like eating good food. Yeah, I I I do it because it is a an amazing pleasure. It's not a a physical need. It is just uh, a delight. It's just a wonderful experience um, that doesn't dominate my. What would you say? Uh, I, I'm not compelled to smoke a pipe. I just adore smoking. In the same way that I like eating a, a good steak, <laughs> <laughs> which in England is not cheap either. Uh, <laughs> I've Very I've certain. seen I've seen the steak prices in England. <laughs> Those must well, be. Well, have you seen tobacco prices? Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, have tobacco. You seen tobacco prices in England. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Yeah, as we're recording this, I'm getting ready to leave for England next week, and I'm bringing my own tobacco with me. Um, <laughs> Very wise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what? Where did you get your first pipe, and do you remember what kind it was? I do. Um, I was going to college in Stratford. We just talked mm -hmm. about Stratford. I went to college in Stratford, and there was, uh, and still is, uh, an amazing tobacconist there, Lands Tobacconist. And um, I bought a a dinky little Peterson pipe. Uh, it was an army mount. Really, it was a really dinky little bowl. And I had that pipe for uh, a year or two before I dropped it and broke it. Oh, no. <laughs> and, um, yeah, no. <laughs> um, and um, I discovered there was a few great blends. But I didn't go through a, a huge tobacco journey right at the beginning, 
but I found a few ones that I really liked. There was a there was one called Balkan um, Supreme. Uh, I don't remember who blended that one. I think maybe at the time they could blend them in in the shop, yeah. which um, due to tobacco laws they can't they can't do that anymore in the UK. Uh, but at the time it was like a a house blend that they did, and it was it was wonderful. One of my favourite ones. Uh, it was a real Latakia uh, dominated blend. It's kind of remained my favourite style. I'm a Latakia lover. Well, that I would imagine the Latakia um, goes along with the cold weather that you have to deal with all year long. Yeah, it just really works well with. Um, at the time, I was a tea drinker, and you got the, you know, the Lapsang, Sushong, smoky teas, mm -hmm. um, and just Latakia just goes well with all of that kind of those um, those smoky flavors. It was just, I loved it. So after you broke your first pipe, did you have to go back and buy another one, or did you figure out how to repair it? Oh no, it was <laughs> it was. Uh, what was I'm just trying to think how long it was before the idea was hit upon to make a pipe. It was quite some time. Um, I think my next one actually was another Peterson, but it was a this time I I remember the second time I went into the shop, I had an idea of what I wanted this time, and um, Peterson had done a, a finished. I think they called it uh, a Peterson Cara, and yep. it was uh, a black, a smooth black finish, like a dress pipe, um, with a, uh, it was just in a billiard shape that I ordered it, and I've, in fact I've still got that pipe, but I actually took care of that pipe. LAUGHTER <laughs> um, and uh, it had a much larger bowl this time because I'd, uh, I'd realized that I liked smoking a pipe at this point. Yeah, my collection grew from there. Then I started getting Savinelli's and um, Stanwell pipes. and I branched out at that point. So then you were on, your, uh, on a regular trip to the tobacconist and to pick up tobacco, and you'd look at all the pipes too. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, in fact, it was... It was mainly at that Stratford tobacconist because there wasn't really one in Leamington where I live. Um, I don't know what the state of uh, brick and mortar tobacconists is like in the States, but in the UK, uh, they're, they're few and far between now. Yeah. So, um, well, the, the online situation has made things much, much better. But at the time, everyone pretty much had one tobacconist they could go to, and that was it. Um, I'm trying to think of the other tobaccos that I started with. Um, I think maybe um, a couple of Samuel Gowith blends were my favourites as well. Squadron Leader, I remember, was a real favourite at the time as well. So most Americans, we hear the story of them starting off with some cherry fruity aromatic, and all of your tobaccos that you're mentioning are all high-powered, Latakia-based, heavy tobaccos. I um, I don't even remember seeing um, an aromatic blend for some time. Um, I did have, I had a period of 
a couple of aromatics that I uh, really loved. Um, what were they? Oh, there was a McBaron. Um, I told you I was bad at names. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Um, Cube. McBaron yeah. Cube um, had this strange, fruity, vanilla flavor. You couldn't quite <laughs> put your finger on it. And I smoked that obsessively for about a year before I... <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what happened, but I, I turned a corner and went, I'm not smoking any more of that. <laughs> you might have been the biggest consumer of it in the world because it wasn't a very popular seller. So. <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. It's like um, suddenly, it's like having a savory, a savory palate mainly, but then all of a sudden, just having a sugar craving and just <laughs> disappearing down that rabbit hole for a while, but then and then like regaining your sanity. <laughs> I completely agree and understand with you. Um, however, my tobaccos won't change, but we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk pipes and pipe making, and in particular, maybe uh, some of your unique designs and uh, your creative ideas. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell & Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, pipe maker Chris Kelly of Eldritch Pipes and uh, Chris is it fair to say that you you've got a, um, uh, a a slightly bent uh, creative streak in you that <laughs> that makes things that are um, very different yeah, um, bent if not actually broken. Yeah, <laughs> um, I do like the unusual, um, but I do like my classic pipes as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that shouldn't be. <laughs> Sometimes I mean focus on the the unusual because that is where I like to play mostly. But occasionally I pull out a classic as well. So the website is Eldritch Pipes, E-L-D-R-I-T-C-H Pipes.com. And there's a ton of pictures on here, including some very nice, colorful classics and some traditional classics. And then there is, I don't know how else to say it, except some freaky shit. Uh, <laughs> 
Is, is that the best way to say it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at one called the Black Shroom that looks like you skeletonized a fish and shoved a stem on it. <laughs> that was meant to be... Um, but yeah, the Black Shroom was meant to be part of the Shroom range, which, um, if you see the other ones, they tend to be green uh, and... The, the plateau really features on those. I really liked a kind of a natural kind of look, as if these pipes had been grown yeah. rather than carved. But for some reason, that particular one came out uh, a bit more skeletal than all the others. It's, um, yeah, who knows why these things happen? <laughs> um, where, where did the name Eldritch come from? Okay, that's a good question. Um, a significant portion of my pipes come under what I call the uh, Mythos range, mm -hmm. and that's all inspired by uh, Lovecraft's writing, H.P. Lovecraft. Are you familiar with that yeah. fella? Yep. Okay. Uh, Cthulhu is his big, yep. is his big famous monster. Uh, and... Uh, uh, he had um, quite a vocabulary, but uh, he was uh, well known for employing uh, blasphemous, eldritch language, gibbous moons, and so forth. And so, um, so the word the word eldritch for me is, is really evokes that um, that kind of dark, weird atmosphere. And uh, I knew from the beginning that was the kind of aesthetic that I wanted to explore. So uh, Eldritch Pipes was just the... It just made sense for me. And you even got one called the Prince of Darkness. So, so the, and it's a prince shape with horns. Uh, so the... So again, they're, they're, um, <laughs> do, you, do you come up with these ideas first or, or are you sitting there working on the pipe and saying, no, I think that thing needs horns? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's from the, the Metal as Fuck range. Um, and the, I just really, in fact, one of the first pipes that I made myself, I, you could almost say the reason that I got into pipe making was because I wanted a studded pipe, and I couldn't <laughs> find one, so I realized I was going to have to make one. Uh, so that, yeah, that metal look was just, that kick-started me um, into, into the pipe-making world. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where the idea came from, um, from the ether. It's just um, <laughs> that desire to have a pipe that suits you perfectly. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, this, a studded pipe, that's me. So out of necessity to out make something necessity. that you wanted, you know, to get something that you wanted, you decided, I'm going to become a pipe maker. M more or less, more or less. I'm definitely a, an idea first guy. Yeah. I'm not, you know, you see some people, they pick up the wood and they let the wood guide them. Uh, I do that once in a blue moon, but usually I know what I want to make 
before I find a piece of wood. I have the idea and then I go get the piece of wood. Um, and that has its own problems. It, um, that's one of the reasons, I don't know if you know, but I cast my own resin as well. No, um, I didn't. Yeah, um, most of my stems are made from resin that I cast myself. Um, because when you have an idea first, it, uh, quite often then when you try and go out into the world and find what you need to make it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. So you have to make it yourself. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been casting resin now almost as long as I've been making pipes, which is about six years. So literally, you buy the blocks of briar, you buy the mixture to make the resin, and then you're creating everything from that out of your own little workshop. Yeah, absolutely, everything from scratch. Um, my briar comes from uh, Mano Briar in mm -hmm. Italy. Um, uh, so I work Italian briar only now. I've, I've tried others in the past, but Italian briar from Mano, they were the guys that was producing the stuff that I, that I like. Um, I was using um, German ebonite from the SEM factory for yep. a couple of years. I still do use ebonite um, every now and then. It, it carves really well, so it still has a place, but um, for longevity, I like uh, I like the the resin that I use uh, because you don't have to maintain it. You know, it doesn't oxidize. It never tastes bad, um, and I find that those are just huge pluses. So. Uh, you you also have a series called the Rogues Gallery, which I've now found a couple of my favorites, including Jack the Ripper, uh -huh. I do, <laughs> uh, Doctor Silence, that Doctor Jekyll. So you're <laughs> <laughs> you're going down some famous uh, some famous British folk there. Yeah, I've, I haven't added to that um, range in a little while. I I've, I've had some ideas for that, but um, the the Rogues Gallery was always kind of intended to be a, would you call it, a English Gothic kind of atmosphere, so like you say, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, Jack the Ripper, Inspector <laughs> Aveline. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you need to put him... I had an idea... For, could you put Henry VIII in there and have six little heads next to it? <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been uh, I've been trying to have an idea for um, a Alistair Crowley pipe. <laughs> I think I've almost got one uh, because I like to mix in the the occult where possible. Yeah. Now, is pipe making your full time primary profession or? Uh, or is this subsidizing an in, an income? It is my it's my main it is my only job. Um, it was to be fair it was it was meant to be a hobby, um, but I don't know if this happens to other pipe makers. But um, it it went from a hobby to a necessity um, because life because life yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I've got a, a little boy, 
well, he's not so little now, but he was very little. And um, uh, it turns out that uh, someone needed to take him to school and pick him up from school and, uh, and look after him in the summer holidays. And uh, we decided that it would be me. Um, and so having a job that worked around those kind of commitments is really difficult. Um, so I decided that self-employment was the, was the best solution. Pretty crazy solution. <laughs> now I look back at it. But um, it, it seemed to make sense at the time, and it's, it has panned out, more or less. <laughs> but, but soon he might grow up to the point where he doesn't need you at home, and you'll still be a full-time pipe maker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't be, I'm, it turns out that when you, what you wanted to be was a rock star all your life, you don't work for other people very well, surprisingly, yeah. um, because you want to be your own boss, uh, and so I suppose in a way pipe making still allowed me to be my own boss. Um, which is uh, probably best for my own mental health <laughs> and, for, and for everybody else concerned, really. <laughs> so you, you went from being a, a rock star to a wood star, just moving down the materials slightly. Well, <laughs> uh, if only I could say I was ever a rock star. Um, I went from a, a, a failing rock musician to um, a passable pipe maker. <laughs> <laughs> the pipes I'm looking at, they are pieces of art, they're creative, they're bright, they're beautiful. Uh, what kind of production, uh, how many pipes a year can you make? I've, I struggle to make more than two a week. Um, I've, I've tried in the past to be more efficient, but um, it just doesn't pan out. Some of the processes that I use... Um, uh, if you looked at the some of the resin fusion pipes, uh, where the it, there's just so many processes involved, and there's just no way of speeding them up. So, um, yeah. uh, so, I've, so what does that mean? I'm making somewhere between fifty and a hundred pipes a year. Some I, I say between that because. Um, I have pipes that are more straightforward, like the, the reading pipe. Uh, if I'm making those, I can almost certainly make, say, two a week. Uh, but if it's a, a carved piece or a resin fusion piece, the either the processes or just the carving time required probably take me down to one pipe a week um, and if it's like now I mean right now uh, we're in the school summer holidays so that puts me working just evenings so that can mean one pipe will take two weeks so it's it's a variable yeah, yeah. and when the weather when the weather's nice you need to be outside a little bit and when the weather's not so nice all winter long it's nice to get into the workshop. 
it's I I love being in the workshop. It's just the best place to be. The um, I love the smell of wood. Actually, one of the weird things is that um, although I don't use Ebonite that much, I've over six years I've learned to love the smell of burnt rubber. <laughs> um, it's a strange. Thing. <laughs> it is. A, it's a strange thing. But if you're from, if you're, you're turning rubber and you're smelling that kind of like that that rubber that sulfur rubber smell, it means that I'm I'm making a pipe and I'm being creative. So, so to it has good association for me. To get an example of what he's talking about. Take one of your uh, ebonite or vulcanite pipe stems and rub it very quickly for about 20 seconds on your pant leg and then smell it. And that is some of the nastiest smell you will ever have. But apparently we found somebody who likes that odor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I am. (laughs) Just going back to the stuff that you make... Um, you make some pipe stands that are also bizarre. Um, the Dunwich Horror, which I'm guessing is that a single pipe stand? All the yeah, all the stands that we do are uh, single pipe stands. Um, I work with a miniature modeler. Uh, he's called uh, Damien Hayes, uh, and he does my miniature modeling work. So the the Dunwich Horror stand, the Color from Out of Space stand. I should point out that those are all uh, homages to Lovecraft stories. Uh, so they're almost like little dioramas. They're like little bits of scenes from out of the book. Um, uh, what else have we got there? I know there's a, there's a Miskatonic University stand. Um, Oh, and there's a couple of uh, rock stands with kind of like occult sigils carved into them. There's a, one's called the Gate to Yog Sothoth. Uh, so all of those are, he models them in, uh, over here. Uh, they're all cast by hand. They're all hand painted. Uh, the work that goes into them is just, we, we work out what they're going to be artistically together. And then he he makes them real, and um, yeah, I'm super proud of those. <laughs> they, awesome. they are they are different and beautiful and weird all at the same time. And then just skimming through your website, you do a traditional smooth strawberry and print shape stuff. So it's literally um, no idea what's coming out of the workshop that that week, do you? You just kind of go and. <laughs> <laughs> See what's out there. We've uh, we also do um, uh, tampers. We've been actually we're doing. I don't. They're not on the website because they they sell too quickly. To be honest, <laughs> um, there's one. Uh, we do a, a tamper, the Herbert West tamper, which is a, a a pile of skulls in a in a test tube uh, looking thing, and. Um, uh, again, all of those uh, hand cast, hand painted in my workshop, and we've just come out with a tentacle tamper. Uh, I don't if you look on the uh, my Instagram feed, I've just been posting a few pictures of those. 
again, those are like original sculpts that we cast in the workshop. And anything weird and wonderful that <laughs> ties into the Eldritch Pipe theme. So again, on Instagram and on <laughs> and on the website, it's Eldritch Pipes. Uh, Chris, you're making some great stuff. I would imagine, uh, you know, this time of the year as Halloween is coming up, might be a busy season for you and people, and there's a couple of pipes that would be great for walking around smoking on Halloween night or, you know, very late at night on a foggy London park. And <laughs> <laughs> Strangely enough, I've never actually done my own Halloween pipe because the um, I mean, Halloween pipes are kind of a, they are a thing, mm -hmm. and there are some people out there doing some really amazing ones. Um, uh, Trevor Talbot and Stephen Downey do some awesome pumpkin pipes. Um, and I've just... Uh, it, I've never got round to doing it. <laughs> I, uh, I think I'd want to do something different. I'm not sure what I would do. Um, in fact, I mean, the joke I made last year was that um, uh, how could I say for Halloween I'm doing a weird pipe because how would that making how would that make it different from any other day of the year? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, weird pipes <laughs> are, are my bread and butter, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> these these I don't want to call them weird. I want to call them um, <clears throat> non-traditional, highly designed, and graphically exciting pipes to look at. How's that? I like that. Yeah. I um. I'm just trying to think what the have we talked about the the poison garden pipes? No. Uh, oh, we, yeah, we talked about that before, didn't we? But um, yeah. So it's like those guys. The the idea of those was the is strange outgrowths, um, just the evoke an unusual atmosphere, and so that's that is the kind of the realm that I like to to live in, and also I like color. I love color. Um, trying to create something that will pop off the screen uh, that will, if you see my pipe and then some brown pipes over there and some brown pipes over there, my pipe will leap out. That's the, <laughs> that's the idea. Uh, so in that sense, my, one of the colors that I latched onto almost immediately was green, because obviously green is also the, the Eldritch color. Um, and it, uh, uh, it's just making a green pipe is, um, is a, a really fun thing to do. Um, lots of people like green pipes. Um, we, it, it's not always obvious, but you make a green pipe and, and people do get drawn to it. And these are all high quality smoking ages, instruments as well as uh, pieces of art, but. We will uh, wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure, go for it. What is your favorite pipe? <laughs> wow, you put me on the spot there. Um, 
Hard to pick one of your children, isn't my it? My favorite part. You know what? Despite all the weird and wonderful pipes that are out there, one of the shapes that inspired me uh, to make my own version of, um, and I still love it as much now as I ever did, is Chris Astrew's Strawberry. If you've ever yeah. seen one of his uh, strawberries, they're just exquisite little pieces. And I just, I love that shape. I love the way he executes it. And um, I think it's just, it's both modern and timeless at the same time. And what is your favorite tobacco? Right now, without doubt, it is Jermaine's 1820 Flake. I don't think we can get that here. That wasn't hard at all. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think that's a UK only uh, or Europe only. So, um, what is your favorite drink? Coffee. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm one of those guys that exists on coffee, more or less. Yep. There you go. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? I like a movie. Yeah. Um, although, can I, can I tweak that yep. with, I like to binge watch a TV series. Probably, probably one of them weird, scary TV series. Stranger Things <laughs> is my uh, is my number one TV show. At the moment. <laughs> and then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? I suppose the my my favorite pipe smoking memory at the moment is. Um, not one specific memory. It is a it's a bunch of them. I was able to make the Chicago Pipe Show for the first time uh, this year, and just going into that smoking tent. Uh, and w when we first got there, seeing all those faces that I'd seen from Instagram, different pipe makers mingling around, it was just. Uh, I was felt in my element, and it was just, I was blown away uh, meeting people that I'd wanted to meet for years. Um, that is, yeah. So, so, the smoking tent at the Chicago Pipe Show 2019. Yeah, sounds like fun. Oh, I can't wait for next year. Uh, anyway. Uh, Chris Kelly, Eldritch Pipes, Thank you very much for coming on. Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, hopefully I'll get to see some of your pipes in person somewhere down the road. Thanks for having me, Brian. Cheers. We'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. 
This is Internet Radio. And we are back. Um, yeah, Chris is a fun guy. I, I really can't wait to can't wait to meet him and, uh, and see his pipes and someday spend some time in the Midlands because Oxford, England, where my uh, where my little mini was made is in the Midlands. All right, for music, uh, talking about uh, England. And, of course, recently I went to the uh, Queen with Adam Lambert concert. Uh, my, my entire review of the concert is absolutely well worth the money. There was only one thing I would have done because I'm a fan of so many of their songs was maybe trim down the guitar solo from what was about uh, eight to ten minutes, trimmed it down to five or six and added in one or two more songs, including, and this has nothing pipe related except that it's a little more obscure and it's from the Made in Heaven album, which came out posthumously after Freddie Mercury had died. Uh, this one's just got a good sentiment to it, and it's called It's a Beautiful Day. Queen's final studio album, Made in Heaven, with uh, Freddie Mercury. It's a beautiful day. You've got mail. And because this show is way pre-recorded, 
Well, obviously there's nothing in the mailbag except to remind you that comments or questions, you can email me directly, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, In fact, if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you may see pictures of me in front of Garden Lodge, the house that uh, Freddie Mercury lived in at the end of his life. And uh, what else? Uh, In fact, travel-related stuff. Remember, I work for you. You don't pay me. And if you book with me, it doesn't cost you anything extra. If I can't save you time and or money, I will let you know, and I'll let you know how to book it yourself. So either way, you don't pay me. Just reach out to me, brian.levine at mei-travel.com. Doesn't matter where you're going. But, uh, boy, there are some deals on some cruises right now. And uh, Walt Disney World at Christmas time? Eh, it doesn't get much better than that. All right. Rant time is next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corn cob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. take this time to uh, give a little shout out, a little props, a little uh, support to Norwegian Airlines. Why? Well, as a travel professional, I like to get the most for my money. And with Norwegian Airlines, yes, I have to fly from Charlotte to someplace else on American Airlines and then connect to their planes. But for going overseas, for going to Europe, their premium class, which is a step above a domestic first class and not quite as nice as a traditional international flight first class, their domestic flights, uh, their their premium class internationally costs less than what American Airlines would charge me for a coach ticket in the back of the plane. And the seats are comfortable, the planes are brand new, the service is great, the entertainment, well, you know, honestly, the entertainment, they could have a few more movie selections, but hey, it's a long haul flight and who's really, you know, who's who's really complaining? At least you got movies right there in front of you. Uh, Their coach tickets are dramatically, uh, dramatically cheap, so... Once again, as a travel professional, I want to maximize dollars. I want to maximize the experience. And so far, I have been 100% satisfied with Norwegian Airlines, with going to Europe. Uh, We even used them on a short hop in Europe, going from Amsterdam to Copenhagen. And you know what? It was fine. It was an hour and a half flight. But again, uh, if you're looking at going uh, to and between Europe and uh, North America, I can highly recommend the uh, Norwegian Airlines, I can highly recommend spending the extra money for the premium class because it'll cost you just a little bit more than coach. 
All right. I hope uh, everybody had fun at the uh, at the pipe shows. Hope to see you all at a pipe show. And again, remember, I'll be at the uh, Richmond Pipe Show October 5th. So please come out, see me. I think there's still some tables available. Uh, you can go onto their website, go to pipesmagazine.com, click on pipe shows, and then you'll see the website there. Look forward to seeing you all there because I'll be recording some of you and uh, for future shows. All right, thank you very much to uh, Chris Kelly for joining me. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. And until next time. The clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Crucifixions today? 139, sir. Special celebration. Passover, sir. <laughs>